There are extra seats up front here. Um, this is awesome, guys. Look at this. Wow. A lot of people. Yeah, God is good, isn't he? So it's good to see our church continue to grow. Yeah. Um, well, I get to be here with you guys this morning. This is great. Welcome to Living Stone. Good to have you guys here. Uh, Sean was out this week. Um, he's here. You've probably seen him, but he was working with the wrestling crew, so that was pretty cool. you got to go and support uh, the guys in the community, and so uh, the wrestling crew uh, from uh, the high school ended up placing 10th overall out of 45, 46. Yeah, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they did a great job, and five of them got onto the podium, so that's cool. Out of our little town, going up to Denver and taking out people up there, so <laughs> it's good. <laughs> It's awesome. So it's good that Sean got to be a part of that and just him getting out in the community like that and uh, being that light. So it's awesome to see our pastor leading us like that. So I got to be here this morning. Um, as one person said in the last one, well, Sean still had from midnight till six to study. So why isn't he up here? Right? Slacking. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm glad I got to fill in for him this week. So we will continue Hebrews next week. If you guys are just joining us, uh, usually the way we do it is we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a book. We're going through Hebrews right now. And so Sean will continue that. Uh, next week, and so we'll look forward to that. So I'm going to divert from it a little bit this morning, or actually a lot, because we're not going to be in Hebrews, and uh, we're going to do a, uh, more of a topical this morning, so I'm looking forward to it. But before we get into it, if you guys take out your bulletins, um, I know a lot of you guys did not have it. We'll try to get some more next week. The second uh, service has been shorted a little bit, so you guys can follow along if you have one, or just listen to these announcements. Uh, women's Bible study, coming this Wednesday. I hope you're excited about it. We've been waiting for it for a while, so we're going to do that at 1230, and there's going to be a midday at 1230, and then one at 630 at night. And uh, we ask you guys to please come. There's a book that you guys need to purchase before you come, or if you don't have it then, you can talk to the ladies there and see what it is that you need to get. Um, you can uh, find any of our women's ministry leaders, uh, Rachel, Heidi, um, Autumn, Shelly, I, I, Robin. I keep leaving out Robin each service. Um, and you guys can talk with them and ask what book. If you guys don't know who they are, come find me or Sean, and we'll direct you in the right place to be able to get that book. Also, men's ministry. We also are starting up our Bible study this week, along with the women, but we're just doing it at night, 6.30. There will be child uh, services provided, so please, you guys bring your families. We have people there. However, on that note, we're going to have it, don't worry, but we do need somebody to fill in. We've asked several different people um, to be able to take over that, the, watching the kids on those nights, and so we are in a place where if you guys would like to serve at the church, that's a great place to serve. Come and watch the kids uh, for the parents on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Um, let me know if you guys can do that for us afterwards, or talk to Sean, and uh, that would be great if you guys would be able to jump in there. Autumn and Shelly also, if you guys know who they are, you can talk to them about that for the babysitting. Um, we have our youth retreat that's going to be coming up in April. I want to give you guys a heads up way ahead of time so you guys can start uh, planning for that. The cost is going to be $150 per kid. Uh, if you guys want more details or to register for it, you guys have the uh, site, or most of you don't. So you guys can either find I or Sean, or we'll try to get you one of these, but it has the uh, link on there that you guys can go and register at. And for that, if you guys are planning to have your kids going, well, have them join a fundraiser to help bring down the cost for you and your family. And that will be, we have one of our first fundraisers will be coming up this Sunday, or not this Sunday, March, Sunday the 5th. Sunday, March 5th, we're going to have a burrito fundraiser for the kids. So if you guys want to come and get some breakfast burritos, $5 a piece to support our kids and them going on their retreat, that'd be awesome. So 
That is, I think, all of them. Oh, one thing I want to announce to you guys since it's second service, and you guys, a lot of you have your kids here because that's when we have our children's service. We switched up all of our new uh, teaching program. And so you can pray for our teachers back there today as they're trying to handle that, as I drop that on them. And uh, we're excited about it, this new curriculum. Here's what I wanted to share with you guys. They now have a take-home part of it to take home with the families to continue in that message throughout the week. So it's pretty awesome. So you will get a piece of paper, okay? Don't throw it in the trash right away. I mean, you guys can decide after that. But look at there's some great ideas on there to do with your kids to reestablish what they're learning this morning in their classes. And I love this program and how it'll be like that. Uh, clever ideas, like one of them is go get a float, an ice cream float, you know, or sherbet or whatever. And then talk about as you're eating this together how Jesus can never be pushed down. And you push the ice cream down there and it keeps floating up to the top. Very simple ideas like that, but it's things that you can continue to show the kids and, and help them in different things. So look for that. And if you guys have kids, uh, your te- the teachers will be handing that out to uh, you as you leave. Okay, well, so this morning is a message that I've been going over for, I don't know, six months. I kind of hit on it every once in a while. And it's one of those ones that when I go through and look for a message, uh, I like to see what's going on and what things that either I'm struggling with, that the Lord's been speaking to me through, or what's going on in our world. And there's some crazy things, of course, going in our world right now. And as I went through this study, and I'll give you the title of it here in just a second, but as I was going through it, I was very much looking at the world and being like, yes, this is their faults. Here's all the things that's wrong with it. And as I started diving deeper, it's like, wow, Curtis, you have some of these problems. It's not just the world. And so as I went through, it really started getting to be a convicting message even for myself and something that I totally thought I didn't have a problem with. And so I pray this morning, too, not to bring you guys down, but to encourage and uplift you and get your focus back on who's important in life, Jesus Christ, and then we can go forward and we continue to be that light in this world and do awesome things. Now, the world loves to give this out, and here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Love gives, loves to give these out, and I don't know if you guys have received one yet, but here it is. It's called a victim card, all right? You can use this card to avoid facts, logic, approaches to discredit your victim agenda, claim oppression, or to avoid any situation that might put you in a state that the victim mentality might be seen while others watch, all right? If you guys don't have one, we can try to get one to you. Totally a joke, you shouldn't have one of these, right, as a Christian. Rather, like that's the world's, I think rather what we need to have is this card, which I was going to make a card, but I couldn't get it all formatted and everything. So we're just going to look at the verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So powerful. That's a great verse. And you guys can see the first one, of course, is the victim mindset. This would be the victor mindset, right? victorious in Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And so that's what we're going to be talking this morning about is victim versus victor. All right? And so as we go through this, I want to give a disclaimer first because this is a sensitive topic and I want to make sure that this is directed in the right place and you guys are understanding and don't get caught up with an offense that maybe comes from the pulpit and that's all you get hung up on and miss out on the word of God. So the disclaimer is this. We've all been victims. At one time or another, we've been a victim in this world. It's a fallen world. We're going to have pains, struggles. People are going to hurt us. Some here have been victims of horrendous things in their life, either from other people or things you've had to go through, losses. Some have been victims for a long period of time. Some have been for a short period of time. Some have not had the very, very horrendous experiences, but still have had, in one way or another, been a victim of some crime or something in their life. I'm not coming against the victim 
Okay, we do have those, we have that, we have these examples. I'm not coming against those real experiences and those trials that you have faced. It's not at all what we're going to talk about this morning. The, expenses, the, the experiences and the trials are very real. Even Paul shared them with us, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 22-33, he shares and he goes through the list of all the things that happened to him, all of his trials. That's not a bad thing. But what we're going to talk about is are we caught up in that? Have we not been rescued from it? Have we not let the Lord bring healing to our lives after we've gone through some crisis, tribulation, persecution, distress, whatever it is in our life? Have we let him come in to heal or have we maintained a victim mentality? And that's where we fall short is if we continue to maintain that victim mentality, that's what will ruin a lot of things in our life and bring us down and destroy relationships with even others. And most of all, with the Lord. Because we're not allowing him to come in and rescue and heal. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Not what's happened, but what's going on now. How are you coming out of that? If it's very recent, how are you dealing with this? Are you letting yourself go down that trail to the rest of your life? This is, what's gonna, this is what you're going to be? Is always that victim? Or what is it going to be? Because we are victorious in Jesus Christ. So, with the victim mentality, you guys know that it starts out with being a real victim in a real situation, but then if it's left unchecked, it's allowed to grow and be nurtured in a self-seeking culture. Our self-seeking culture, right? Maybe it's an independent one that you have going on right now, your own culture, but look at our own culture that we have in in the States. It's a very self-seeking culture. And then use that victim mentality to cover up laziness, pride, self-glorification, self-love, and even hate for others. That's where that can lead us to. With that victim mentality, it can cover all those things up, those things that we need to deal with. So even a, a quick example, you know, if, if we have a problem with being lazy and not doing what we've committed to, we will always put something in there as a reason why we couldn't do that. Right? I had plans, these other people's plans ruined my plans, therefore I couldn't do it. When the reality is, if you're going to be honest, you just didn't want to do it. And you looked for an excuse to get out of it because you're the victim. Right? We don't want you to have to do that. We don't want you to have any problems. We don't want you to have any suffering in this life. You, you, you know, and that's what our culture teaches us. This suffering is absolutely wicked, bad. Stay absolutely away from it. You shouldn't have to do that. You don't deserve any of that. The Bible's contrary to that, isn't it? We're going to go through that a little bit. So with that, what happens in the end and what it comes down to is when the person wants to cover all that up and use their victim mentality in that or be the victim, in turn, that victim mentality leaves the person with no responsibility right? No responsibility. I don't need to change. Everything's good. Everybody else has the problem. If you can't handle how I am, you're the problem, right? And continually. And you guys can even think about each relationship you have. You know, look at your marriages. Look at what's going on at work. Look at what's going on within your family. Is that the way that it's playing out, right? I'm trying to do everything right, but they keep messing it up. That is a victim mentality. It is. Hard to think about that. You're like, wait, wait, wait. That that can't be me. But as we go on, I hope you guys will see this and, and, and the Spirit just speaks. So I want to go through three different choices this morning. We're going to hit three different choices. There's plenty of other scriptures I know that you guys can go to. And I hope the Lord leads you to them. Here's the ones that I was led to and really were convicting to me and really to help me come out of this mentality that I find myself trapped in, which I was very prideful in saying there's no way I'm ever a victim. You know, and, and so it's a really good place to go, these three choices. Three choices that will lead to a victim mentality from a biblical perspective. These are three choices you might make in your life that will lead you to having a victim mentality. The first one is unbelief in the love of God. Unbelief in the love of God will lead you to a victim mentality. We're going to look at Romans 8, 
35 through 39 for that. The, the second one, self-focus. Self-focus will lead to a victim mentality, especially concerning suffering. Especially concerning suffering. Self-focus, we feel, is like, if you're in suffering, it's totally allowed. You are completely, you need to dive into self as much as you can if you're going through suffering. Right? Because it needs to be about you. You need to tell everybody about your suffering. Yes, in some ways, and when it first happens, of course, there's going to be there to have compassion and bring you up and give you counsel and to be, be there for you, right? To share in that suffering with you. But what I'm talking about is getting stuck in that mindset and staying there. That's where. The third one is the lack of God's word. You will fall into a victim mentality because of the lack of God's word, which equals, so the lack of God's word equals submission to subjective truth. What that means is that God's word is our objective truth, right? That's a truth that's outside of us. That's a truth that we go to. That's one that we abide in. But if you are into subjective truth, that means truth is good for you, and maybe somebody else's truth is good for them. That's subjective. It's up to the person to decide. Uh, an okay way to have subjective truth is my favorite color is blue, okay? That's my subjective truth. That's what I, I like blue. But to say something else like, hey, you know, I believe these certain things, and this is the way that I think that you get to heaven, is you guys need to go out and you need to, you know, go work in a pantry, and you need to go work at Walmart for a week, and you need to do all these things, and then you can get to heaven. That'd be a subjective truth. That's not in the Word of God, which is objective. Another example, and I always laugh because when somebody tells me there is no absolute truth, which is where this spawns from, when I say, okay, if you believe that your truth is good for you and my truth is good for me, I'm going to punch you in the face right now because I feel that's true and noble to do right now. But I guess you're probably going to say, no, my truth says that's bad. And do you see the conflict that starts happening? Look at the conflict in our culture right now because self has been glorified and because self-truth for each individual. And now look at everybody's warring against each other. I mean, people are tearing each other apart. You think they're on the same side, the next thing they're devouring one of their own. Right? That's what self-truth, that's what that subjective truth does. And so if we're not locked into the word of God, of course it's going to bring in this victim mentality because it has to, to support your cause without God. And that's going to be Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, Matthew 4, 4, and 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. And I'm sorry, I forgot on the second one, I forgot to mention the verse we're going to go to is Lamentations 3, 1 through 20. All right, now as we go through these truths, okay, I ask that the Spirit, you guys, let him work on you and convicting and challenging you as we go through this. Don't get distracted and wishing the others could be here or should be here to listen to this or looking to the world as the main culprit like, oh my gosh, yeah, I heard this on the news the other day. Really let the Lord speak to you guys. Like I said, as I was going through this, it was very much outward looking. You know, it's the blame game. Oh man, I know who needs to hear this. You know, I'm going to go give him this scripture. No, let the Lord work on you. That's where it needs to happen. Let him work on you. Then others come and like, wow, there's a big change in you. I see your focus is completely somewhere else. Yeah, it's on God. It's on God. So let him work. Now, this study is for us as believers to be set free, reminded, renewed, and emboldened in Christ. It's to remove that plank out of our own eye. It's good to help others. You guys know that verse in Matthew? It says, hey, you see a speck in your brother's eye. Yeah, okay. What about the plank in your own eye? You're about to knock everybody in the back of the head when you turn your head. It's sticking out so far. Deal with that first, but then it also says, then go help your brother with the specs. So it's still a good thing to help brothers and sisters. That's why we come together as a church. So, real quick, I want to go through some of these to give us a check on where we are. Are we in that victim mentality? I got this from Pastor Bob Millseps. He's a pastor in Texas, and so I really liked what he had on his blog. And so we're going to go through that and just see as I go through these questions, is this me? And be real. 
Be real, because it is such a good thing when we're truthful with what's going on in our life and where we're at so the Lord can work on us. Here's the first one. Do I blame others for bad that happens in my world? Do I blame others for the bad that happens in my world? Do I think that future, the future only has bad things waiting for me? Do I believe that the future only has bad things waiting for me? These are all the victim mentality here. Do I have a strong sense of entitlement? Do I go through great pains to share my troubles and negativity with others? Ding, ding, ding. That was mine. That's the one I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I do that. What in the world? Just some days I want to share my negativity so people can be all like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> do I sit with people for hours and only talk about myself? Do I listen to others' hurts, pains, and trials? Or do I try to one-up them and how I even had it worse? Yeah, that's, that's so hard. When somebody's in a conversation you're trying to talk about, hey, I, I had this bad day. Your day wasn't even bad. Let me tell you about mine. <laughs> that's a victim mentality. That's tension on me, right? Um, do I complain about everything and nothing is ever my fault? Do I hold on to every injustice, every hurt, and every pain and refuse to let it go? That's victim mentality. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. We just thank you so much. As we come to you this morning, Lord, I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, you just convict us if there is something going on. And Lord, if there are, you know, we're going through a trial and something's really hard in our life, Lord, we ask you just comfort us, please. We have to come to you. You are the great comforter, Lord. We love you so much and thank you so much. We get to be your children and sit at your feet. We know you care so much for us. I pray this morning as people have been robbed from the joy or not understanding your love that they would be um, enlightened to that, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt how much you love because I know the enemy wants to strip that from us. Lord, I pray that we'd be that testimony to you and those in our work and our, our spouses and, and with our other relationships that we have in this world, Lord, that you'd be glorified through them. And uh, Lord, we'd be able to give an answer to the hope that's in us. And we do hope for you, Lord. We cannot wait to see you face to face as that song was singing. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that you just pour out your spirit on me, that these words would be absolutely from you, Lord, about you, what you want to teach your people, what you want to teach me, Lord. Just get me out of the way and get in my pins, Lord, and just have your word be so powerful and cut to our hearts, Lord. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the first one. Unbelief in the love of God. The first choice that leads to a victim mindset is unbelief in the love of God. Romans 8. If you guys would turn over there with me. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. These four verses that are here. Now, before we get into that, just a little bit of background. You know, chapter 8, here's Paul talking to the church in Rome. He's, he's encouraging them, talking about what we have in Christ. Talks about the, uh, that we're free from indwelling sin in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on. And he talks about the sonship that we have through the Spirit, which is exciting. What are we are? We're heirs with him. I mean, unbelievable in, in verse 17. Great study there. And then going on, talking about how he's chose us. Like, we are selected by him. It's so awesome. He, he knows it all, and we get to be a part of that. And then he comes to the end of the chapter here, and he starts encouraging in how good God's love is, his everlasting love. So in verse 35, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice he covered all the bases there. Right? I mean, he did everything. Anything you could be concerned with in this world, outside of this world, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. You guys know the enemy absolutely hates that. He hates how much God loves us. He hates it and despises it. So, of course, what does he want to do? He wants to, he wants to rob us of that knowledge. He wants to rob us of that faith that we have, and God has that kind of love. In fact, he would like to just distract us from God's love. And you might have experienced this as the enemy tries to convince you that you are impossible to be loved. Think about some of the thoughts that have crossed your mind as you're in maybe a dark spot where it's like, no, he doesn't love you. He can't be loved. Look, at, is there anybody else in your life that loves you? Well, why would God too? Those are lies, guys. Lies. God loves you so much. It's not determined on how other people around you feel about you. God loves you so much, and to prove it, he gave his son, right? He proved it. So how could we not believe that? It, he also, the enemy, loves to come in and condemn us, isn't it? That's one of his worst, is condemning the brethren. And he likes to come in and condemn us that we might believe that God's love only has a certain reaching distance. That if I've gone so far and I've crossed that line, God's love cannot come over here anymore. Right? That's not what it is about. He does not. God's love is there. And it, that's what Paul is saying. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. Now, if we do believe this, if we believe that we are separated from his love, then what you do is you go through the scripture in like 35, and this is how I like to look at scripture sometimes. I see that there's the positives. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So it's asking, right? That the positive is nothing can separate us. Well, what things is it talking about that we might feel separates us from the love of God? And that's why he lists tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. So what will happen is if we start walking away from realizing and having faith and knowing that God loves us, we're going to be in a place where it's like, we ask questions like this, where is God in my tribulation? Where is he in my distress or persecution? Right? Where is God in my famine and my nakedness? Where is he in my peril or violence or the sword? What's happening to me? And you come down to this word, and I know at least all of us have said this, does he not love me? Does God not love me anymore? I mean, how do I explain these tribulations, these things I'm going through, this hard time in my life, as God deserted me as well? And maybe you don't stay there very long, and maybe you've stayed there even until this morning, that you're still there questioning, can he really love me? Because, Curtis, you don't know the things I've been through. You don't know the things that have been done to me. No, God's love is there. Don't associate it. Don't filter it through what the world looks like. It's com- he's completely separate from that. Look at how Paul looks at his suffering over in 2 Corinthians. If you guys turn over there. Paul, of course, being a great model for us. And look at how he deals with the suffering that he's going through. Suffering is a hard thing. If we did not have suffering in this world, we would not have Jesus Christ dying for our sins, right? Suffering is a key part in this life. How do we react to it? And Paul gives us a great example of how to react to it. Paul had just received a vision in in chapter 12. He says, I don't know if I was actually there or if I saw it, but he went and saw heaven, right? And he says that so that I don't get a big head, basically, I needed something to humble me. And that's what he's talking about, this thorn in the flesh. So that's where we are. Verse 7, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 
And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pled with the Lord, or pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's not a bad thing to ask for a trial to go away or, you know, these things to go away. However, what is God trying to work through that? That's what we need to pay attention to. What's going on as we're going through that trial? So he did plead three times, didn't he? And Paul is a man of faith. I don't think it was based on his faith. Just God wanted to work something else in him. So he goes to him, pleads, Lord, please take this away. And these next verses are so key. Because Paul could have stayed in a victim mindset where he would have lost all of this confirmation of who God is in his life and a complete different focus and perspective on the trials and the things that he's going through. Look at these verses 9 and 10. And he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That is so powerful. So, Paul, I need you to be in a weak state so that I can show my strength. You will not know my strength unless you go through this. You see what a treasure that is? That God was not satisfied with his relationship with Paul And so he allows this trial to go on so that Paul might know him even better. You see how intimate that is with God, guys? Like if you can think and you go through a trial and suffering, you can think, okay, Lord, either I have the decision to go and talk to everybody about how awful this is, stay in my mind and not sleep at night, going mulling through everything that's going on. I could just suffer through this even more focused on myself, or Lord, I can turn it over to you and see, wow, you want me to know you more. That is such a big treasure. And because the God of the universe is saying, I want to know you, and you want, I want you to know me, I want our relationship to be even stronger than it is right now, I'm going to allow this in your life. And then Paul comes out and he says this, I'd rather boast for most gladly. I mean boast. He goes, therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities. This guy's nuts now, right? <laughs> I'd rather boast. I'd be excited about my infirmities. All right, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> That the power, and this is the reason that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you guys want the power of Christ to rest upon you? Yes, absolutely. How do we get there? Making sure that when we go through trials and, and suffering, that we're focusing on the right focus, not on ourselves, but on him. And what is he doing? Then the next verse, 10, he goes on even more, and he says some more crazy things that don't make sense to the world, but in Christ absolutely makes sense. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches, in needs, in persecution. The last time you guys needed something where you're like, yes, I need something really bad and I'm not knowing how I'm going to get it. (laughs) Now, usually it brings stress to us, doesn't it? How am I going to work this out? What am I going to do? How am I going to go through this? If you guys get abused verbally by somebody, you know, it's like, yes, I love it when they call me those names. (laughs) That's what he's saying here. And he's not going out there and be like, please, everybody just pour out all the sin you can on me. I'm going to take it on. No, it's the reaction to it is because, and he says this, for Christ's sake. If you think it's about your sake, you're the victim. If it's for Christ's sake, you are the victor. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Completely the opposite of what the world teaches. You must be strong so you can be strong for others and stand there. No, the Bible says, you know what, when I'm weak, that's when I get to see strength because I'm completely having to rely on God. I cannot rely on myself. Can't do that. What an awesome thing that he does there. And it's because he changes the focus, which is our second one, right? The second choice that can lead us into 
This victim mentality is self-focused, especially concerning suffering. Turn with me over to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 is such an awesome, powerful part of Scripture. I love it. We're going to pick on Jeremiah here for a little bit, because uh, he kind of he messed up a little bit on some of these verses, but he redeems himself after it. So chapter 3 of Lamentations. We'll read 1 through 20 here, so we've got a couple verses to read. But as we go through this, I want you guys to see how much he focuses on himself. Okay? And then what is he interpreting God as? What is he interpreting all the actions that are happening to him? How is he saying what God's character looks like? It's pretty, it's realistic, I'll say that. I'll say some of these things I've actually said to God as I'm wrestling with him and through the things I've gone through. All right, Lamentations 3.1, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, his wrath being God's wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Wow. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. It's getting pretty depressing, isn't it? He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. Felt like that for sure. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He's turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrow of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, the taunting song all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He was so hungry at the time he was trying to eat dirt and covered me with ashes. Now look at these last, or these two verses here, 17 and 18. It's really sad what he says at the end of 18. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. What a sad place to be, right? 19 says, remember my affliction and roaming and the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Jeremiah is in a bad place. You guys know Jeremiah's history. For 40 years, the guy was trying to tell us, people, turn from your evil ways because you're going to get destroyed. 40 years of doing that. Gets to this place where now Jerusalem, he's sitting across from it. Lamentations, they believe, was when he was kind of watching Jerusalem be destroyed, and he's there lamenting. He's also enduring the same punishment that they're going through. Here's a guy that was preaching everything God asked him to do, doing awesome works, and now he's suffering alongside the people in the same way. That's a moment where you'd be like, exactly what he's going through. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done all this? I'm, I'm like set up to be the target for your arrow. When I pray to you, it's just like it bounces off the ceiling and comes back down to me. Where in the world are you? You're not helping me. Me, 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 I, 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 my, my, my. He says those three words, what I counted in, in the new... Uh, King James Version is 34 times in 24 verses. Over one and a half times he says, me, my, or I in these verses. So of course, where's the focus? Can you guys see that? Yeah, he's going through rough stuff. He's going through a very real experience, a very real trial, but where's the focus? It's on himself and what he's going through. And then he starts interpreting time it could happen it happens right all right we back on check 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 all right we're back there all right good job thanks Brandon <laughs> okay 
So back to it. Again, how can, we, he, how can God have love or be love in this kind of suffering? That's where he's at. If a person is in this type of anguish, or even a little bit less than this anguish, how can we say that they still have responsibility? Usually when a person's going through this, we're like, oh, they shouldn't have any responsibility for their actions, anything. I mean, they're having a hard time. Let them go. And you see how that happens. If you can stay in that, then that's a place you want to be, at your flesh at least. Like, hey, I'm going to stay in this victim mentality because that means I have no responsibility for my actions or what I'm going to do because it's based on everybody else. It's based on the situations around me. That's what we would say. That's what the world would say about Jeremiah. Yeah, he has no responsibility. But they would say also that the situation is the one that needs to change. It's up to the situation to change so that that person can have it. Let's give them a different environment, and then it'll have change. No. The flesh is still being fed there. The flesh is still being exalted, right? That self-love, that self-focus. And we'll go a little bit more on the responsibility as we come to the conclusion of this when we go through the right things to do. But right now, we'll move on. To believe there is no responsibility from the one suffering, that comes from a lack of God's word. That's where that starts. Whether or not knowing God's word or not recalling God's word. See, if you're going through suffering and you're saying, well, I have no responsibility, I'm going to tell you that the word of God is going to be contrary to that. It's going to call you out. And we're about to go through some of that. So if you felt that way, hold on tight because we're going to go through some of these verses. Hebrews 4. So the third one's going to be the lack of God's word. That's one of the places that will drive us. That's one of the choices. If we choose not to be in God's word, it will lead us to a place of victim mentality and lack of God's word equals submission to subjective truth. It means it's submission or I want to follow my own truths, what's true for me, okay? Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. These other ones I'm going to put up there for you guys. That way you can lift your heads and I can see who's sleeping. Uh-huh. All right, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and, of, and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We do not know even our own hearts, right? The Bible is the discerner. God's word is, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are not going to fool God. As we might have fooled ourselves or even others, we're not going to fool God. And his word's there to bring it out, to show us no word in our life, if we have, do not have the word of God, means that we do not have a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. You see that? You have to have that objective truth. You have to have that objective truth showing in on your life, shining that light, saying, no, this is not right. If you're up to your own truth, you're going to be like, yeah, this feels good. This is right. And it's not going to be. All, the other thing, no word of God means that you're left to your own interpretation and thoughts and intents and it's all sifted through your own truth. You take it all through your own lens, or however you want to say it, all through your own truth, and therefore, of course, it's going to be justified. Everything, and this is how we go usually, we will always make ourselves look the best that we can, right? Think about the last argument you had. Did you try to make the other person look really good? I doubt it. If you, if you tried, you're lying. <laughs> Usually in an argument or in something that's going on, we try to bring that other person, like show that, hey, we're stronger in this. And, and that's just, that's our flesh. That's what we usually do. With the victim again and saying with the person, if you're arguing, well, no, I'm the victim in this. And you won't say that outright because we don't want to use that word. That looks like, oh, we're well, weak. But the way that we act, it is that way. Because we're showing that we have no responsibility. And that's what the victim always goes after is that there's no responsibility. No responsibility for the actions that are going to follow. The next one is in Matthew chapter 4. 
verse 4. Talking about God's word and how we must have that. And if we walk away from it, we're definitely going to have victim mentality. It says here, this is what Jesus says. He says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he starts it out with a basic, right? He says, hey, you guys, you know you have to have bread. You have to have food. Some of us a little bit more than others. You have to have food to survive. If you're going to survive, you need to be eating, right? And so in that, no food equals starvation physically, right? Then he associates it with the word of God, doesn't he? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You don't just live on food. You have to have the word of God in this life. No bread equals starvation physically. No word equals spiritual starvation. That's what ends up happening. To not live by every word of God leaves room for us to fill the gaps just like a really bad diet. You're not going to have a good diet if you start cheating and you go and put other things in there. Believe me, I've been there and done that. It doesn't work. Feels good, but it doesn't work. Same thing when we put God's word and we live our lives. Hey, it feels good to put some of my flesh in there because God's truth is sometimes I'm not really with it. You know, it makes me change too much. I have to think about others instead of myself, and I don't like doing that. You see how it just bleeds in there and it gets to be pretty nasty because then your truth is the thing that you're going to interpret everything through. That's what a victim mindset does. It interprets everything through their own truth. You have to have the Word of God to come in and to basically show you and put that under magnifying glass of what's going on. And you guys know what happens when you have a little bit of a lie put in with truth. Is it a truth? No, it's a lie, isn't it? It's absolutely a lie. Just like the enemy showed us in the very beginning with Satan when he talked to the woman. You know, he used God's Word and what God had said but then he added a little bit to it. He said, don't touch the fruit. You know, God said, don't touch of it, you'll die. That's not what he said. He said, don't eat of it. But you can imagine she's over there and she's like, I didn't die. Let's take the next step. Because he was challenging God's word by giving a little bit of lie and making the whole thing into a lie. Don't do that with ourselves. We have to have the word of God to maintain and to realize that that is not truth in our life. We have to have that objective truth. Last one for God's word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're not complete, there's a lack of God's word. Josh, go back to that other one. Here's what I like to do with scripture. Okay, I'm looking at this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now what what happens if we take that out of there? We take the word of God out of there. Well, then we don't have anything that's profitable for doctrine, do we? We don't have any proof. We don't have any correction. We don't have any instruction to righteousness. You see how you take the objective truth out of there, then all of a sudden what are you left with? Now you're going to define this in each one of your instances in life. Do we see our culture doing this? Right? Where's the instruction for righteousness? Well, however you feel that day. And maybe it'll be different from the day before. But it's up to you to decide because it's about you. No, it's not about us. And so we have to go to God's word that he can show us, he can direct us, he can build us in those things. And again, you have to have that truth. You have to have his truth, that external truth that's coming in, not our own. So when I'm hit with those problems, here's what ends up happening. If I'm living this life where I'm like, okay, God's word isn't that important to me. Yeah, it's kind of. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of put that on the side. I have my own plans. I have my own plans to get through things. When something comes up, this is what I'm going to do. And if the plan doesn't work, guess who's the problem? It's everybody else's plan that's messing up my plan, right? 
that's where we go, and it's a circle, and it's, we always are looking to other people as the culprit of why things don't work well in our lives. And even like Jeremiah did, he went and said that the reason things aren't working is because God's not doing it the way that I see that he should do it. I prophesied for 40 years that this is going to happen, but I didn't know I was going to be a part of it. And I'm going to talk about how negative it is because I'm talking about my own experience focused on self rather than on who God and his character is. So without God's word, man has to turn to another truth, doesn't he? And it's more appealing to go to your own truth than to somebody else's truth. Of course, we want ourselves to survive. We want the flesh to survive. That's why we're called to die to self. Is that true? Dying to self means the flesh cannot live in this. It means it has to die. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to kill a chicken. Okay? They don't like to die. Usually, things don't like to die. Have you ever tried to kill your flesh? It doesn't like to die. It's like every day you're like, wait, we already, this was crucified yesterday. I believe that Jesus Christ put it on the cross, and here it is again. You know, things do not like to die. Living things, and especially our flesh, and that's what he's calling us to. Focus on Christ. Get involved with him. Put everything into him, all your resources, everything, so that you might die. To conclude, so that's all the places that we go. That's where we'll slip into if we choose those things. Choose um, not to be after God's word. Now, how do we live victorious? How do we come out of this? Here's the encouragement to live victorious. As a Christian, we're given a ton of encouragement through God's word, aren't we? Over and over again. I'm sure you guys have a lot more verses you can add to this. So he knows all the hard things that we go through, doesn't he? I mean, he even experienced a lot of it in his own life, and I'd say even more than we ever will. I don't think I'm ever going to be crucified. Maybe, but I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think I'm going to have to go through the torment. And just on top of all that, having all the sins of the world put out on me. It's not going to happen, okay? That'd be a mess. It's not going to work. He did, though. He went through all that stuff. He knows what suffering is. Without suffering, Christ would have never went through any of that. We would not have a Savior. Suffering can be used for a good thing in this world. We are going to have suffering in this fallen world. It's a guarantee, but how are we going to use or abuse it, right? We have the hope to look forward to that all the suffering is going to be taken away when we get to be with him. Praise God for that. While we're in this moment, what are we doing? How are we acting towards our grief, our trials, everything that's going on? He knows all these hard things, and he can relate to it. On top of all this, we are his creation. You guys know that he created every single one of us. So who would know you the best? You? Nah, sorry. We don't know yourself that well compared to what he knows you as. He knows every little bit about you. He knows what the design in you is, and he has all the tools for that to get to the place that he's desired. But he gave us free will, so we can interrupt that. Or we can give our will back to him and say, yep, you lead my life, Lord. My life is yours, like we sang in that second to last song. So he does not want us to have this victim mentality. He calls us to a renewed mind. You guys want to do a great search? Go and look in the scriptures, or you can do a Google search, say renewed mind verses. There's a lot of great verses that come up and talk about us having a renewed mind in Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because we're practicing things all the time. How much influence do you guys have in the, from the world right now? Just think about this. How many hours are you guys spending with other believers in the church? Okay, maybe a Sunday, maybe a Wednesday night. That's your fellowship time. Maybe you guys get together for a dinner. That's why it's so important because you have how many work hours with other people that are definitely of the world, giving you other counsel, talking about their problems. It's easy to be brought down by that. We must maintain that time with the Lord so we can be focused in the right place. It's good that you're here this morning. It's good that we're gathering together so we can be reminded of these things. Now, 
like I said about before, with the responsibility, we do have responsibility, don't we? We have responsibility as believers. We cannot just say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I have no responsibility because of all these hard times. The responsibility that we see is in Romans 12, 2. This is one of those actions that we take place so that we don't get into that victim mindset, or if you're in that victim mindset, come out of it. Here's, here's, here's a great place. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Such a great verse to know, isn't it? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're in that place, let the Lord transform you. Let the renewing of the mind happen, which means you're going to spend some time with him. You spend time with, your, with the believers. There's encouragement there. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. This one says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's powerful. We have the mind of Christ. Was Christ a victim? Was, did he have that mentality? Right? Yeah, he was a victim of our sin. He was. Did he sit there and be like, oh man, these people are lame. i got to die for them. <laughs> you know that he said that it was his joy. There's a very few places in the scriptures where Jesus talks about his joy. He talks about having joy and how we get that. But there's very few verses talk about his joy. And one of those places it says that his joy was to go to the cross. We were that joy. He labels us as joy. That is not a victim mindset, is it, at all? That's completely looking at the will of the Father and the obedience to the Father and what the master plan is. Because he's focused on what needs to be done. He's focused on what is important, and that's the will of the Father. No victim mentality in Jesus Christ whatsoever. So therefore, if you guys believe that verse, what's going on in your mind? You now have the mind of Christ. And how that works is the next time something comes up where you guys are having a rough moment, a trial, some horrible things happen, your emotions, somebody's broken your heart, you've lost You've been treated wrong by somebody else. Retreat back to this. Lord, please remind me what it is to have your mind. Walk with me through this, please, Lord. I need you right now because I want to do things. I want to say things that I know are not going to be good. There's not going to be in progression here. I'm definitely going to slip into that victim mindset. Please, Lord, I know I'm victorious in you. And just like you had your victorious mind as you went through some of the ultimate suffering a human being ever could go through, please give me. Help me to believe that I do have that mindset that my mind is in Christ now. Powerful. So the renewed mind is a victor's mind. A renewed mind is a victor's mind. Let's look at how this mind works, and we're, gonna get, we're getting close, okay? Stay with me. First, we know that we cannot be separated from God's love. We know that we cannot be separated from God's love. Again, over in Romans 8, 37, it says this. Get that one, Josh. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than all these things, what he's talking about is in verse 35. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We are more than, what's another word we could put in there? Victors, right? We are victorious, guys. That's what it's saying. We are victorious more than victors, more than conquerors through him who loves us. Because we focus on the love that he has for us. And then he goes on those last two verses, which are so good. And he basically says, there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing that can separate us. And so we know that we cannot be separated from God's love. Come out of that victim mindset. No, God loves you. 
you're not susceptible to those things that you're being lied to about? Are we persuaded like Paul was that nothing can come between us and the love of God? The second one is we focus on God and who he is as he shows us through our suffering. We focus on who God is as we see him through our suffering. This is back over in Lamentations when that is dealt with with Jeremiah. And I said it turned in that book, right? That he's going through in chapter 3 and all of a sudden it changes for him and his focus completely goes to the Lord. He was in a bad spot and this is what he says. This I recall to my mind. This is where the renewing of the mind is going to happen. You have to stop sometimes and remember, okay, wait, wait, stop. I'm being tortured right now in my own mind. Stop right now. And as Jim had told me earlier, remember that verse that says, take your thoughts un, uh, unto captive, or take your thoughts captive unto Jesus Christ. Don't let them go any further. It's like handcuffing them, and then I'm going to deliver them on to Jesus Christ so he can deal with it. I recall to my mind, I just went through this whole ordeal and this sadness and all this thing that's going on with me like Jeremiah did, but I remember this, therefore I have hope. Hope is restored through the renewing mind. Through the Lord's mercy, or yeah, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Although it might feel like it, we are not, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that great, guys? Every single day, he says, they're new every morning. That means, yeah, yesterday maybe I didn't do and I focused on the wrong thing, but guess what? It's a new day. It's a new morning. Great is your faithfulness. Absolutely. And I love this part. This is such a, it's rich. The Lord is my portion. Where are you getting your portion from? Where are you getting your portion from? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Remember, this is Jeremiah having to go back and retreat back to this, the renewing of the mind, remembering who God is, saying, no, wait, wait, wait. The truth of the thing is, the objective truth is, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I don't hope in myself. I don't hope in anybody else. I hope in him. And then it goes on. And you guys can read through the rest of that chapter. And he just, one after another, he just keeps focusing on God and is just restored, comes out of that depression and that mire that he was in there. And all he can do is glorify God. What a great place to be. So we focus on God and who he is and as he's shown us through our suffering. The third one, to know God's love and to know him is to know his word. All right, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a great one. If you guys want to memorize this verse, write it down. This is one of those verses you can retreat back to when you're going through something and you're letting your mind get astray, getting it focused on self. Go to this verse. For I know the thoughts. You guys remember who God is. Don't let those lies be told to you that he doesn't want anything to do with you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You don't know his thoughts. He knows them. What are his thoughts? Thoughts of peace and not evil. That's contrary to sometimes how I think God thinks about me. But I'll let him think for himself. To give you a future and a hope, you have a future and a hope. It's not all ruined. Then you will call upon me and go and pray. See what it turns you to? See, remembering that? Remembering who God is and what he thinks of you because of what he just told you? Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Remember, this is Jeremiah speaking these words before he went through his crisis. Which in his crisis, he was saying, my prayers are nothing to you, Lord. Remember, though, no, absolutely. He says right here, I'm going to listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God will always be found when we search for him with all of our heart. It's an awesome thing. This is God's truth. So stop making our own thoughts of him. Let him tell us what his thoughts are of us. Now, the last three things. Choose 
And then we have the bad choices, right? We have the good choices. Choose to believe in the love of God that he has for you. He is not against you. He is for you. Choose to focus on God who is really there in your times of trouble and your suffering. Choose God's word in times of doubt, suffering, depression, loneliness, etc. When God is the focus, and Aaron, you can go ahead and come on up wherever you are. Is he around? Uh Uh-oh. You can come on up wherever you are, Aaron, and we'll do the last song. When God is the focus, how can a person maintain the victim mindset? Let me say that again. When God is the focus, how can a person maintain the victim mindset? We are more than conquerors, and we are victors in Christ. The last verse to look at together, another great one. If you guys want to write this down or put it in wherever you have these verses, you can retreat back to in these times that are hard. It's Proverbs chapter 3. You guys want to turn with me, and we'll just close with this last verse here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Right? Trust, guys, all of your heart. Every little bit of it. Don't lean on your own understanding. I guarantee it's going to collapse, and you're going to look like a fool and fall on your face. Don't lean on your own understanding. In Him, or in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Every single thing that's going on in your life, all of your ways, everything, how you do it all, acknowledge God. And He will direct your paths. Let Him direct your paths. Isn't that good? Such great verses He gives us. Lord, we're so thankful that you have these wonderful verses in here. Just your word is powerful. Of course, it's, it's exactly for us because you know how you've designed us. Lord, I pray that we remember to retreat back to you, that we wouldn't let our minds get off on, on either the victim mindset, the selfish mindset, self-focus, all of that, Lord, that we would continually remember who you are, what you have planned for us, and, Lord, that we can glorify you. That's what you say. You create us so we can glorify your name, and your son did that over and over again, that we would have his same mind, Lord. Rescue us from these things that we get ourselves into, these thoughts. Lord, we want to please you. We want you to be the light of this world, and Lord, we want to we're going to be able to shine that. And so, Lord, continue to counsel us, help us through things, guide us, bring out those things that we need to hear that are really hard, Lord, that you would just convict us too so we'd run back to you and just repent, make things right with you, Lord. Thank you so much for the works that you're doing. It's an awesome thing you're doing in Kentucky, Lord. We ask that that fire spread across our nation as people come and repent before you and want to be right with you, Lord, that you'd be glorified through all things in our lives, Lord. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us?